Would you turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse number 8. We're in a series, the book of Philippians, and we're in a section of Scripture where Paul is addressing righteousness and knowing Christ. Philippians chapter 3. This is the eternal, holy, living Word of God. Verse number 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, and I could say sisters here, of course. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lonely body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crowned, stand firm thus, In the Lord, my beloved. And let's pray. Father, help us this morning to receive your words, to understand them by the power of your Spirit. Father, put in our hearts a longing and a hunger to know Jesus, to be obedient to him, to be conformed to his image. And Father, let us leave this place today, not only conform more to the image of Christ and made more fit for service in the kingdom of heaven, but Father, may we, Lord, be pleased to allow us to experience more of the fullness of your love for us and fellowship with you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of this message is Knowing Christ Jesus, Part 2, The Upward call. 
So what is this goal, this mark, this prize that Paul speaks of? What is this upward call of God that is in Christ Jesus? Notice it's for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are in Christ, who know him, who have been found in him, as it says in uh, chapter 3, verse 20, Two things that are happening here, if we want to stay in the context of what it means to be attaining this prize or going after the goal or the upward call, if we're going to stay in the context of what Paul is saying here, the first aspect of this goal, this upward call, is being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you have already, through your faith in Christ, put on a new self. You've put on Christ, which is being renewed after the image of our Creator God. You're being renewed, made back to the image of God Himself, for those of you who are in Christ. And God predestined this for you. In love, He predestined that you would be conformed to the image of His Son. That's, that's number one. The upward call in Christ Jesus, it's to become like him. Number two, it's to be made fit for citizenship in the kingdom of God. Now that you are in Christ, brothers and sisters, you are kingdom people. You are kingdom people now, which means you are a holy people, a set-apart people, a pure and blameless people who live a life of love. You practice righteousness now. It's one of the marks of kingdom people. You practice righteousness. That's why we confessed righteousness this morning. But I ask you now, where do you get this knowledge? Where do you get this knowledge that leads to you becoming more like Jesus, more like Christ? Where do you get this knowledge that makes you more fit for service and citizenship in the kingdom of God. There is one obvious place, and you know it. You're holding it in your hands. It's the Word of God. You're not going to know Jesus. You're not going to be made more fit for service in the kingdom of heaven and and be a, a fit citizen without the Word of God. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible also says, sanctify them. This was Jesus Christ's prayer for you, by the way. He prayed this for you. And he said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them, he says. Let them become more holy. Let them become more like me in the truth. Your word is truth. Be in the word. As a pastor, I'm I'm no different than Timothy from long ago. Paul told Timothy, and he could have told me, This morning, here's what he told Timothy. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God. This Bible that you hold in your hands is breathed out by God. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in what? Righteousness. So that the man and the woman of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. 
The question for you here today is, are you in the Word? It's an old saying that says, you are what you eat. Do you eat the social media food? Is that your steady diet? Or is it the Word of God? Do you think you're going to have a backbone to stand against the value system of this age, which is growing stronger and more pervasive, without being in this Word of God conformed to the image? You think you're going to be able to stand against the pressure that's in this church and in the culture without being in the Word of God? You haven't a chance. Where else do we get this knowledge of Jesus being conformed to his image? Three not very obvious places, and I want to bring those out this morning. There are three other places that Paul brings to our attention where we get to know, whereby we get to know Jesus more and more. The first is through the power of his resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. The second is through sharing in Jesus Christ's sufferings. The third is uh, becoming like him, Jesus, in his death. The power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, and becoming like him in his death. Does that sound very attractive to you? Let's start with the power of his resurrection. What is the power that raised Jesus from the dead? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit is the one that, just like Jesus, liberated you from your bondage to sin, your slavery to sin. It's the Holy Spirit who is leading you into all truth, and it is the Holy Spirit who is enabling you to obey. But how do you access the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you think that that power is just going to be at work with you not even being aware of it? Or you availing yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit? How are you going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you? He's not going to make you do everything robotically. There is a cooperation with the Holy Spirit. What is your part? Pray. Are you praying? Do you pray to God in the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead? And do you know that you can ask God to fill you with his Spirit, to empower you by his Spirit, to lead you by his Spirit? You can ask him directly, and he won't give you a scorpion when you do ask him. He won't give you a stone when you ask him, is what the Bible says. When you ask for bread, how much more will he not give you the Holy Spirit, the power, the leading that you need when you ask him for help in the area of the Holy Spirit? Are you praying? Number two, I was saying sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings to get to know him, to have this knowledge of Christ. If you want to know Jesus Christ more, and if I do, It is on the path of suffering, becoming like him. When we follow Jesus Christ and we become like him, we become more and more filled with light, the light within us. 
within us shines brighter and brighter. And in the world, the more you shine as a light, the more the world will hate you. And they will hate you because they hated Jesus Christ. I had a young man that was visiting our house recently, and he was, uh, he's in his young 20s, and he was commenting about how so often we as kingdom people, our kingdom agenda overlaps so often with the world's agenda. Sometimes we're mutually concerned about ecology, or we're mutually concerned for the poor, Christians and non-Christians. The difference, this young man said, he had heard it somewhere, was this. The world wants a kingdom without a king. The world wants a kingdom without a king. They want to be king. Humanity feels that it has the capacity and the ability to determine the healthy future utopian condition of the world. They don't want a king. But you're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And you practice righteousness while proclaiming at the same time that Jesus is the king. Jesus is king. And he's the Lord. And you will be persecuted for it. You will be persecuted. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. You're going to get persecuted. Let's just speak of some of the value system things that are going on in this world today. Marriage and divorce, it continues to increase. Half of the marriages, even in Christian churches, those that declare marriage at all, end up in divorce. You know these statistics. The same-sex marriage movement continues to grow. Churches are pressured more and more to accept the growing cultural value system as it relates to marriage and divorce and same-sex relationships, being married, entering into even into the churches uh, for membership and leadership. Some become pastors. You've heard a lot about abortion. The tens of thousands every year that are aborted. There's racism. Some get tired of hearing about racism because we feel it's being forced upon us, but it's there, and it's bad. You know, when I was a little boy, I grew up in Michigan City, Indiana. There was one word that was, well, taking the Lord's name in vain was always the worst. God's name, Jesus Christ's name in vain, it was the worst. You just didn't do that. There was a word, there was another one. We didn't use the F word when I was a boy. But there was one word that was worse than that word that I just said. And it was the N word. And in the town where I grew up, folks used it all the time. It's a horrible word. Just like being somebody from Poland, and they used to have those kind of jokes, or from Italy, or from Japan. There's these names that are associated with them, disparaging things, meant to cut you. The N-word was the worst, because it didn't have anything to do with your nationality. It had to do with the color of your skin. 
it was the worst. It's almost like murder. Today, folks don't show up on the marriage and divorce statistics as much because they don't bother getting married. It's not just the older ones. It's the young ones. National Social Services is a huge network that takes statistics on, on, on how things are going demographically, socially in our country. I could go on and on about this, but let me, let me give you just one simple statistic to help you to see what I'm talking about. Here's a question that was on this survey that went out to great numbers of people. But I'm going to just speak about evangelicals, professing evangelical Christians from the age of 18 to 29. And here was the question. Is it all right for a couple to live together without intending to get married or not. Six out of ten evangelical Christians, six out of ten said that it is okay to live together without even intending to get married. It's, the question didn't say live together with the intention of later on they'll get married. It said with no intention of ever getting married. That's evangelical Christians saying that. How many in the culture, apart from Christ, are saying such things? What do you make of that? What do you do about that in the church? What are we even talking about when we say stand firm for the truth, stand firm for the faith? We have to stand firm. Beacon light, we're God's people, his holy people, his people made right with God through Christ. The question is here before us today is, are you, are we going to believe the world's value system the SMFB translation of a Bible with a small b, social media, Facebook value system, is this what we're going to allow to inform our understanding of what it means to be God's covenant people, his holy people, his loved people, his people who have been called to practice righteousness, or will we be silent? Because the pressure is too great to speak up. And I don't mean just outside the church. I'm talking about in the church. You might be thinking right now as I bring a message like this, Pastor, you're not going to have very many people left if you keep preaching like that. Well, Jesus only had 12 left when he got done. When his words got to be really challenging, 
The disciples began to leave one by one. There were only 12 left. And Jesus looked right at them and he says, do you want to go away too? And the apostle Peter said this, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And he stuck with him. This morning I was reading in scripture about two great kings from Israel, Hezekiah and Josiah. I'll just do Hezekiah just real briefly. Hezekiah was one of the later kings of the portion of Judah, a part of Israel. All of Israel had caved into the value system and of the culture that was surrounding them, pagan worship, all over Israel, the 12 tribes. The 10 tribes of the north had been whisked away. They'd been overwhelmed by the government of the day, a powerful government called Assyria that took the 10 tribes, the northern tribes, into captivity. They were oppressed by the government, by a government they had no power to resist because of their unfaithfulness. And the culture's value system, all these idols and pagan things, some of them uh, gods, uh, sexual things and fertility gods, some of them burn your kids in the fire. It was atrocious, detestable. And Israel had succumbed. And the nation was under judgment. But Hezekiah, the king, as a young man, said, no, enough. And he called the nation to repentance. He cleansed the temple, which was filled with idols. He reinstated the Passover. Come, we need to observe Passover again. And he sent out letters by couriers all over the land calling them to repentance. Let's return to the Lord. And you know what the nation or all the tribes did when they received these messages? They laughed at the messengers, laughed them to scorn and treated them with contempt. They were so far gone by the culture. They just laughed at the messengers who were calling the nation to righteousness and repentance. Are we going to listen to the value system of the world or are we going to listen to the good book, the Bible? Will you suffer for what this Bible says? Will you suffer for Jesus? Will you suffer for righteousness' sake? Will you speak up for righteousness and would you practice righteousness, personal righteousness, like what we confessed this morning? And while you're doing that, Would you go even to greater lengths, not just about your personal holiness and your personal righteousness, but would you reach out to the folks that are struggling with all these things that we were talking about and do it in love and in grace and in mercy? As you speak the truth, do it in love. Broken families, broken marriages, broken sexual relationships. Reach out and love. Love them. Even as you speak the truth. And you will suffer. You will suffer for it. Your own family members will reject you when you start talking like that. And you will become more like Jesus. You want to be more like Jesus? 
Are you ready to suffer for it? Three, you want to become more like Jesus? Want to know him more? Well, then become like him in his death. For you to even be alive here and myself to be alive in Jesus this morning, to be found in him, we had to first die. You had to die. I had to die. That's what Jesus said. If there's anyone who wants to try to save his life, save your own skin, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You have to die to yourself, the lordship of yourself, of your life, if you're going to find life in Jesus Christ. You've already been crucified with him if you are a true Christian here this morning with Christ. You already died with him. So what does it mean then to become like his death. If you're already dead and you're already alive, what does it even mean to become like him in his death? What the Bible says is, treat yourself as having died. This is what it says in Colossians. Now, take off the old self. Put off the old self. Put off the things that pertain to your old dead self, the clothing, because you still have habits that are still in your head. Still ways of thinking. Still you have some instincts. Old addictions, old habits that are deeply ingrained. Put them off. Become like him in his death. Put to death that old self and then clothe yourself with the things that pertain to Christ. You already are alive in Christ. Now clothe yourself with Christ. Put on his his attributes, his virtue, His holiness, His compassion, His mercy. Clothe yourself with such things. And you'll have a prayer that goes along with becoming like Him in His death. What is that prayer? What can you pray? What should you pray to help you to become more like Him in His death? Jesus gave that prayer to you. Do you know what that prayer is? He modeled it. Here's what the prayer is. For those of you who want to become like him in his death, here's what it is. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. That's what Jesus said in the garden. When his natural self didn't want to have to go to the cross Father, isn't there some other way? Let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but thine be done. That's what it means to be dead, to become like in his death. Not your will anymore. It's his for your life. Jesus prayed that prayer and then he died. If we personally want to know Jesus more, to become more like him in his death, we too will say, not my will, but thine be done. You'll be dead to your lifelong pursuit of comfort, your lifelong pursuit of security, your lifelong pursuit of possessions, your lifelong pursuit of pleasure, the things of the flesh. And what will it look like if you don't have that as your pursuit? You will live a life of love and service. And you will be more like Jesus.
And you'll be more fit for service in the kingdom of heaven, of God. Because you died, saints in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you can accept this, what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says, you already died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. You have a kingdom mind, a kingdom purpose now. And God gave you a prayer. You have a personal prayer, not my will, but thine be done, but you have a kingdom prayer now. Do you know what that prayer is? Jesus prayed it, and he taught the disciples to pray it. Here's what your prayer is right now. You want to become more fit for the service in the kingdom of heaven? You want to become more like Jesus Christ? Really? Here's the prayer that he taught you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Gary, Indiana, as it is in heaven. In my family, as it is in heaven. In my life, as it is in heaven. Paul considered himself crucified to the world and the world to him. Do you? Are you crucified to this world this morning, saints in the Lord? Are you crucified to this world? Is the world crucified to you? I had a young man recently visit me. He's a strong Christian, very intelligent, but he was afraid. This young, strong Christian was already living a life of service. He was ministering to the poor and the homeless all over the place. But he was afraid, and what was he afraid of? He was afraid. He was actually afraid to pray something. He was afraid that if he prayed... Not my will, but thine be done. God would say to him, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. And then come, follow me. What is the goal? What is the prize? What is the upward call? It's to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's what Paul said in chapter 3, verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's the goal of knowing him more, attaining to the resurrection from the dead, not to simply experience the power of his resurrection that we were talking about, but to actually attain to the resurrection of, from the dead, to be alive now, truly alive, so alive, saints in the Lord. Do you realize that you can be so alive right now that you will never die? Well, that sounds ridiculous. Oh, but it's not. You can be so alive in Jesus Christ that you will never die. How can that be? When Jesus is talking to Martha, and she says that my brother Lazarus will live someday at that resurrection on the final day, and Jesus Christ says, Martha, I am the resurrection. And the life, whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus Christ came the thief, to give us life and life to the full. The thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what the thief comes to do, and that's what the world has to offer you. You want to be in the world? Here's what they want with you. To kill, to steal, and destroy. And that is where you're heading. Anyone is heading if this world's value system and all that it has to offer is your appetite and it is your goal. But if you want Jesus, here's what he offers you. Life, 
and life to the full. Not just life so that, okay, I gave my life to Jesus and one day I'm going to go to heaven when I die. No! He came to give you life and life to the full. And what is that life? It is a life of being loved by God and experiencing it. To know the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ, his delight in you, his joy. Did any of you feel it this morning as we sing? The joy of the Lord. Peace with God, the sense of holiness. Oh God, my dirty self has been changed. Thank you. The freedom and the power to obey the living God. Fellowship with God. Can you feel that? What it is to walk with God. To walk in fellowship with Him. No barrier. You're walking with Him in life and He's delighting in you. Everything you are in. Even in your sports or your activities, your hobbies, when you're worshiping, it doesn't matter. He's with you, fellowshipping with you, and you're fellowshipping with Him. You're being conformed to the image of Christ, becoming more and more beautiful, being restored to the image of God. You are becoming fully human for a human being, for the purpose that you were meant to be as a human being. A fulfilled life, fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Knowing that you're not just distracted, not sure where it's all going, you know that your life has a purpose. To know Christ is to have life and life to the full. And the Apostle Paul wants to know Jesus more and more and more. Why does he want to know him more? Because even the great Apostle Paul is not complete yet. He's not perfect yet. And when will he be complete? When will he perfectly know Jesus and be like him? When he sees Jesus Christ face to face. Chapter 3, verse 20. He'll become like Jesus at the day of Christ Jesus when Jesus comes back. Chapter 1, verse 6. The Apostle Paul was running a race. He's alive in Christ. The Spirit of God is in him. The Apostle Paul sees the mark. He sees the goal. He sees the finish line. He sees Christ. He strains. He leans. He stretches out. He's trying to do with all he's got to take hold of Jesus. And when he does, the Apostle's body, his whole body, not just his soul and spirit, will become like his glorious body. And all the while that Paul is stretching out For that goal, Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of Paul's faith, is helping Paul because it says here that Jesus Christ has already made him his own. He who began a good work in Paul will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is at work in Paul, causing him to will and to act according to his purpose. God is at work in Paul. God is at work in Paul, causing him to will and to act according to his good purpose. And what I want to say before all of you here this morning, it's not just Paul. Paul says this, all of us who are mature should think the same way. You should think the same way. It's not just about salvation this morning. I've told you my testimony as I close this message. At the age of 27, getting by my bed and crying out with the simplest prayer possible, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, if you can, save me from my sin. And he did. He saved me from my sin, and life began for me. I want to tell you something. That happened in November 
1984. In the springtime of 1985, I had a dream. For me, I, I consider it perhaps the only vision I ever had. It was so vivid, so powerful. I just, just flat out just almost call it a vision. Here's what it was. In my dream, in the spring, I was only a Christian now for maybe six months. I was in the kitchen of our house in Arlington Heights. I was looking out the back window and I was seeing our crabapple trees, huge crabapple trees in full bloom. The blossoms were pink and they were beautiful. As I was looking at those trees through the, the kitchen window, all of a sudden, the face of Satan, as I imagine Satan, we all have an idea of what he looks like, but what I pictured him was looking at me from outside and he was looking at me and he was smiling at me as I was looking out that window. And then he held up two $20 bills, one in his left hand, one in his right hand. Now, $20 doesn't sound like a whole lot, <laughs> but I knew what they represented because here's what I was struggling with. My wife and I were upwardly mobile in this world, and what Satan was saying here, what he was showing us is the world. Are you really, in my soul, I was thinking, are you really ready to give it all up? Satan was tempting me with the world because I loved the world. But I was a Christian now, and I loved Jesus. And in that vision, it was as if my, I was seeing myself. I was able to see myself as if I was detached from the body, and I'm looking at myself, looking out the window, at Satan looking at me, holding up two $20 bills, and I saw from afar my chest became open like a window, and inside, a man was walking around in a white robe. It was Jesus. Jesus was my possession. He was my treasure. I share that testimony with you at risk of making it sound like it's about me. I share this with you to encourage you. So what happened to Satan when he looked through the window and he saw Jesus there walking around in my chest? He faded from view, and he disappeared. And in his place, sitting on the windowsill, in place of his face was a beautiful, radiant cardinal, a bird, a cardinal. To this day, <laughs> when I was preparing this message on Thursday, I got up from the basement, and I looked out the window in the back at the bird feeders. And on the grass, almost all by himself, was a radiant, beautiful red cardinal feeding on the grass. Brothers and sisters, we're in this together. Let's run this race with perseverance. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Let us keep the faith. Let us contend for the faith. Let us grow in the faith, and let us stand firm in the faith. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.